receiving, we see in Scripture that God honors those who honor Him, and there's no greater honor than trust. And we've said this is an overarching life principle that's directly connected to sowing and reaping. Another of our foundational verses in this study is Psalm 103 and 7. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. It's one thing to look at something that happens and try to decide whether or not it's an act of God. Um, Another thing altogether to understand the ways of God. When you understand the ways of God, the acts of God make sense to you. If you don't understand the ways of God, you're liable to call anything and everything an act of God. And then my commitment to you, when I teach on these things, is from Philippians 4 and 17. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. It's not that I'm looking for a gift from God's Word. Same verse from God's Word translation. It's not that I'm looking for a gift. The opposite is true. I'm looking for your resources to increase. And the same verse from the Amplified, not that I seek or am eager for your gift, but I do seek and am eager for the fruit which increases to your credit, the harvest of blessing that is accumulating to your account. Now, last week we said people tend to get uncomfortable when we talk about giving and receiving or just money in general because money has a way of measuring things about us we do not like to have measured. We didn't really comment on the other side of that, um, but some people get uncomfortable when we talk about money because they have a misunderstanding that money somehow measures things that it's a poor measure of. In some circles, the amount of money someone has is used to measure how spiritual that person is. Well, that's, that's inaccurate. That's not true. Sometimes in, and in the world system, the amount of money a person has is like the ultimate measure of, of success. Again, money is a poor, poor measure of success. There's a lot of folks who have a lot of money but are not living and enjoying a successful life. We said easily offended means overly sensitive. So if you feel yourself getting defensive, you need to ask yourself why. Amen. We've already received an offering. It's not about trying to get your money from you uh, this morning. It's about teaching you God's perspective, God's ways when it comes to our finances. Now, we also said, and, and this is, hopefully we can move on past this this morning. I don't, I don't know that we will because this is really just, I think, urgently important before we go any further in what the Bible has to say about these things. But How we manage our money is a good indication of how much influence the world has on our thinking. Now, I know some don't really like to deal with this aspect, but the Bible's very clear that every person in this world, to some extent, is being influenced by this world's thinking or by the darkness that's in this world discipleship is about the renewing or the reconditioning of the mind to where we think more and more in alignment with and in tune with God and less and less in alignment with and in tune with this world. And that's a process. And some are further along on that process than others. And again, money is a good indication or how we manage money is a good indication 
of how much influence the world has on our thinking. And part of that is because whether we're using it to measure the wrong thing or it measures things we don't like being measured, money is a yardstick in a lot of, in a lot of instances, in a lot of cases. And I think this is perhaps one of the most telling. Now, you've heard me say this over and over again. I'm going to say it again this morning. Agree with God and agree with Him quickly. It's very important for you and me to get on the same page with God where everything in our lives is concerned. We're talking about giving and receiving, and certainly it applies to giving and receiving, but this is an underlying theme of everything I preach, everything I teach, everything I write. Uh, It's it's helping people uh, come into agreement with God. I am a minister of reconciliation. And what that simply means, think of reconciling a checkbook. When you receive your bank statement at the end of the month, you've got what the bank says you have in your checkbook, and then you've got what your registry says you have in your checkbook. And reconciling is bringing what you think into agreement with what is true. You follow what I'm saying here? That's reconciling. So to be reconciled to God is... Uh, occurs on two different levels. First of all, through salvation, our spirits are reconciled to God because they're new spirits that are made one with God. And, and that process, uh, I say process, that, that miracle is an instant miracle. It's something that happens in the blink of an eye. But then we move to the part of us the Bible calls our soul. And that's the part of you that thinks and feels and makes choices. And the reconciling of your soul is different from the reconciling of your spirit. The reconciling of your spirit happens instantaneously. The reconciling of your soul happens progressively. And we could teach and have taught on this extensively, but that basically has to do with God didn't create you uh, to be a programmed robot. He created you to think and choose for yourself. You can think and choose anything you want to think and choose. And so if our thinking is going to change and come into alignment with and agreement with His, we're going to have to cooperate with Him. We're going to have to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. We're going to have to cooperate with the Word of God in the renewing or the reconditioning of our, of our minds to bring our minds and our thinking into alignment uh, with God. But I'm telling you, that's where the... We talk about spiritual growth, but listen to me. It's really not your spirit that grows. If you understand what the Bible teaches about salvation as it relates to spirit, soul, and body, you see that when you were born again, it wasn't a baby Jesus that came to live inside of you. It was the resurrected, glorified Lord who came to live inside of you. you, you your born-again spirit has been perfected forever according to the Word of God. There's no, there's no room for growth or improvement. The only way your born-again spirit could grow or get any better than it is right now is for Jesus, who's the prototype for your born-again spirit, to, to grow and improve and, and become better than He is right now. And, of course, that... That's an impossibility. But when we switch over to the soul, we're talking about something completely different now. And this world has influenced the way we think. This, this world has influenced our mindsets and our attitudes towards all kinds of things. Um, man, one of the best things you can do in your marriage is get God's perspective on marriage. One of the best things you can do as a parent is get God's perspective on parenting. And, and then as it applies to your money and your finances. And, and while we're here, let's go ahead and, and, and cover this, all right? There is a lot of spiritual warfare around the subject of money. 
a lot of spiritual warfare around the subject of money. When I say spiritual warfare, I'm talking about devils and demons trying to fight and affect and influence and manipulate. And of course, we know that's just one side of spiritual warfare. We know on the other side of that is, is, is God and the holy angels and the Holy Spirit and the Holy Word of God um, also working in our lives. But there's, there's a tremendous amount of, of, of conflict uh, where these two come together uh, and, and specifically where they come together in, in our own minds and our own individual thinking. So I, I didn't finish the statement. There's a lot of spiritual warfare around the subject of money in general. And then there's a lot of spiritual warfare around giving and receiving in particular. So it's not just that there's spiritual warfare around the subject of money. There is. But if you really want to get to a, an intense part of the battle as it relates to spiritual warfare and money, you know, talk about not just general things pertaining to money, but get to the giving and receiving part of, of money. And, and as we've said already, giving and receiving. It's not, just, it's, it's not just around the giving part. There's spiritual warfare around you giving, but then there's also spiritual warfare around you receiving. The devil wants to try to confuse you on both, and, and ultimately he's, he, one of his main goals is for you to never connect giving with receiving. He never wants you to join those two together. He never wants you to think of those two as, as, as uh, uh, halves of a whole or, or you know, two pieces of one, of one uh, process. But again, this is, this is the spiritual warfare associated with this. And so this is where we get the lie from the pits of hell. And I'm saying it as bold and as strong as I know how to say it. You should never give to receive. That's a lie. That is a lie. That is, that is spiritual warfare. That is spiritual warfare. Now, 2 Corinthians 10, we're not going to turn there, but it, it talks about how we have, to, we have to pull down every thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And, and the Bible refers to these imaginations, these thoughts, these, these things that we think in our minds um, uh, as strongholds. A stronghold is a military term. It's a spiritual warfare term. And if you recall, those of you who uh, uh, were old enough to remember when, when we went into Iraq and we liberated Iraq and, and, and the Saddam, big statue of Saddam Hussein came down and you know, we declared victory uh, and then fought for how many more years? Um, and what were we doing? Just because we took the capital and just because we controlled, um, you know, th- that one central part of, th- of that nation, there were all kinds of pockets of resistance scattered throughout that country, people who were still loyal to Saddam, even long after he's in prison and then executed, uh, people who still, uh, you know, held on to and fought against uh, the liberation that uh, the United States and our allies brought to that nation. So think of a stronghold as pockets of resistance that try to linger, that try to hold on even after this battle or victory has won. And so when we talk about spiritual warfare as it relates to money in general and then giving and receiving in particular, there are a lot of things that people think as, as, as it pertains to money and as it pertains to giving and receiving that, that do not line up with what the Word of God says. There, there's, it's strongholds in our thinking. So, like, for instance, you should, you should not give to receive. Do you realize, I'm, I, I don't know, I haven't done any particular surveys or scientific research on this, but I would dare say 
a large portion of the body of Christ believes you should never give to receive. I think, I think if I was to preach that in a, in a thousand churches, I'd get a thousand amens. You should never give to receive. You're right. Preach on, preacher. And that's wrong. That's incorrect. And, and now notice, even now, some of you, it's kind of making you a little unsettled. It's like, whoa, 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 hold on a second here. Again, it's exposing wrong thinking, wrong beliefs. And why is that? Why is that? It's because our minds have been conditioned by a buying and selling approach to financial management. Our minds have been conditioned in a, by a buying and selling world and a buying and selling economy. And so when we say you should never give to receive, so let me, let me say it another way. And if I say it this way, you're going to go, oh, okay, yeah. Um, should a farmer expect to receive a harvest from the seeds that he or she plants? <laughs> yes. Is it wrong for, is, is that farmer just being greedy and nasty for putting corn in the ground and expecting corn to come, come up from that and more corn than he put in the ground? Of course he's not being. See, we would never say a farmer should never plant to receive. We would never think that. We would never say that. Why? It's because within the context of sowing and reaping, that's exactly how you receive. You receive by, by taking, from a por- taking a portion of what you have and, and giving it, planting it, sowing it, so that that portion and the potential that it has to produce more back to you can be received and harvested back to you. So we would never say that it's wrong for a farmer to think he, you know, he, he gives uh, to receive or he plants to harvest. It's, but see, the point that, again, we're trying so hard to illustrate here is how a buying and selling world has conditioned our minds. And so now when it comes in conflict with God's approach to handling money and, and dealing with money, uh, His ways, we try to adapt what He says to, to make it fit what we think or what we believe. So I didn't give you this verse, and I've, I've mentioned it already a, a, a time or two. And it's 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. It says, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which, while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Now, I know you've heard it said so many times, and, and um, you know, but let's emphasize it one, one more time. The love of money you'll often hear people misquote this verse and say that money is the root of all evil. That is inaccurate. Money is not the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. Money in and of itself is, is a tool. It's, a, it's, it's an instrument. It's like it's crazy, it may be a crazy comparison. It's like the Internet. You know, right now we're using the Internet to, to send this message to anybody in the world who has an internet connection, they can join in with us right now. There are people in Africa who are, who are joining in with us right now or will at a, at when they wake up later or finish their church service later, okay? Um, but we also know there's a lot of, there's a lot of evil that's uh, on the internet, a lot of falsehoods, a lot of uh, pornography and all these things that are, that are out there as well. So, you know, the internet is just the internet, Okay. Um, it's a tool that can either be used for good or for evil. Money is the same way. But what, what produces the root of all evil is this love of money. This love of money. And, and it's talking about coveting. This is where, you know, basically greed, more and more and more. All right, now, 
notice <laughs> that all evil, that's, that's, a, that's a broad sweeping statement right there. It's not that the love of money is the root of some. It's the root of all evil. All evil. Now you think, well, you know, there's some things that crimes that people commit, money don't really have anything to do with it. Well, let's look at this a little closer. Luke chapter 16 and verse number 10. Luke chapter 16, verse number 10. Jesus had a lot to say about this personally when he was on this earth as a man, this subject of giving and receiving. The Bible, which is the Word of God, Jesus is the Word of God made flesh, um, has plenty to say about giving and receiving, Old Testament and New Testament. But listen to this from Jesus in Luke chapter 16, verse 10. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, another word for money, mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, or God and money. Now, I want us to go back through this. And the word that we see translated faithful could have just as easily been translated trustworthy. These words are synonymous. If you, if you look up the original word uh, in the Greek, faithful, you see that trustworthy is a, another compound word that could have just as easily been inserted here. So we're not mishandling the Word of God. And I think if we go back through it and substitute trustworthy for faithful, it may kind of open your eyes a little more to what it is that Jesus is talking about. So let's do it again. He who is trustworthy in what is least is trustworthy also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been trustworthy in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust? Do you see the, how the words work there? Who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters. Or that word there also, trust two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. Remember what we've learned about the word despise. Despise doesn't mean what we sometimes think it means. You know, you hear people in the world say, I despise that, and they just say it with just that, almost a growl in their voice. And, and they're using the word despise to mean hate or strong dislike for. Biblically speaking, despise means to consider uh, very little, to have a low opinion of, to have very little respect or very little honor for. So in the case of, of despising, it would be like on the opposite end of the spectrum of, of honor or honoring, right? 
Now, if you're not familiar with these verses, Jesus is clearly talking to us about money. And when he says that if you are faithful or trustworthy in what is least, I don't have it in my notes, but when Jesus talked to the Pharisees about tithing, he told them that that was something that they should do. People who are trying, with a buying-selling mindset, who are trying to figure out every way in the world to get out of tithing and say that it's Old Testament, it's not for today, we shouldn't tithe today, we don't have to tithe today. Man, it's not about having to, it's about getting to. Okay? It's about getting to. Um, but they, they often point to it being Old Testament only. Where if you read it very carefully, Jesus said, you should tithe. Okay? I mean, that, that, that's, he used those exact words uh, in, in this conversation with the Pharisees. But he also said that tithing was the, the basics. It, it, was, it, was the, it was the entry level, if you will, of, uh, of, of kingdom practices. Uh, so I'm not trying to say that it's not important, but what Jesus was saying is like, if, if, if you can't get the money part right, and it's the least important, then how are you ever going to get some of these other uh, much more important things right as well? So trustworthy or faithful in what is least is, is trustworthy, faithful in much. See, a buying and selling economy has us thinking that if we had more money, then we would give. So that's buying and selling thinking there because buying and selling you know, has this idea with it that, that the more we have, then the more we can do. And if we just had more, we could do more. And one of these days, when I have more, I'm going to do more. But according to Jesus, whatever you do when you have little is exactly what you're going to do when you have a lot. All right? You say, well, I don't agree with that, Pastor Mark. Well, you need to tell Jesus that because he's the one who, who, who said it's that way. He who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. And he says, if you haven't been trustworthy in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? I want to, there's a lot that we could say and will say in the days ahead from these verses. But when it comes to how we handle our money, God looks at that as a determination for what other things he can then trust you with. And if you will not be faithful and trustworthy with the little bit that he gives you, then it would be, believe it or not, it would be in your, um, it would be to your harm for him to then trust you with even more. Because remember, to whom much is given, much is required. And, And we'll be judged by God one day based upon what we did with what we were given. And in the same way that a, a wise parent um, manages the, uh, the, the length of rope that they give to their children, the, you know, how much freedom we trust them with. Um, in other words, a child needs to be, be proven trustworthy uh, before they're given the keys to the car. And then if they are not, uh, uh, you know, if they don't, be accountable if they're not accountable you know when they're supposed to be home at 10 they show up at 12 they show up at 1 
didn't call, no explanation, whatever. They've, they've just proven to you that they are not faithful and trustworthy enough yet for the keys to that car. I, just amen or me, you get mad at me, or I'm just trying to tell you, right? This, I'm, I'm using something, that, you know, related to this. And so he says, if you've not been trustworthy and unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? See, <laughs> this world places such a premium on money. You know, again, a buying and selling economy, this mindset that comes from a buying and selling economy, we just think money is just the greatest thing and it's just the best thing. And, you know, if we just got money, 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 money. And God's like, that's the least, Right. Prove yourself faithful with the least and, and make yourself a candidate for the true riches. And if you've not been faithful in what is another man's, the tie-in here is tithing. You, you may not readily make that connection, but we see in the Garden of Eden, one of those trees in that garden was another man's, capital M. It was God's. You see in this. God told him, you can enjoy every tree in this garden, but you see that one right over there? That one's mine. Don't touch it. The day you touch it, you die. So that was another man's. He was giving them something to, to be trustworthy and to him and faithful uh, to him with. And, of course, we, we know um, that they were not uh, faithful in what belonged to someone else. Fast forward to Malachi. The tithe. God says, will you rob me? Because he says the tithe, 10% of your increase belongs to him. Who says? God says. And, and it's the same principle as the Garden of Eden. In the tithe, God, God puts in your possession something that he says belongs to someone else to see what you're going to do with it. To see how you're going to handle what belongs to someone else. And if you've not been faithful in what belongs to someone else... Who will give you what is your own? Then he says, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Serve means to be subject to. Think to put yourself under as a covering. Think that which you look to for provision and protection. When he says you can't serve two masters, he's saying you, you, you can't look to two opposite things for protection and provision. You're going to eventually gravitate more and more towards one and less and less towards the other. Are you, are you following what I'm saying? Um, I was trying to think of some way to illustrate this. You know, we tend to think, well, yeah, we can do both. You're not the exception to this. Don't think that you are. It may start out seeming like that, you know, we put our trust in God and money, okay? But what he's saying is over time, you're, you're going to fall more and more under one and less and less under the other. That's why he's used this word despise here, loyal and despise. Loyalty is something that's built over time. Are you all with me this morning? Y'all, everybody good? You get anything out of this? Praise God. 11.27. We still got a few minutes. Can you hang in here with me a few more minutes? A few, a few more minutes? Okay. So he's talking about something that, that develops in us gradually over time. That's how the world conditions uh, our thinking. It doesn't happen overnight. It's something that, that happens gradually over time through life experience, through, um, you know, 
when we find ourselves in a bind, who or what do we turn to for help? And, and the more we turn to one thing and the less we turn to another, the more we tend to depend on that thing and the less we tend to depend on the other uh, until eventually, um, you know, all we've got left to do now is pray. Right? Meaning what? Meaning we've tried everything else, every other answer. Money won't fix it. Doctors won't fix it. Medicine won't fix it. Uh, Mom and M's, what they got in their garage won't fix it. And so all we got left to do. Notice now, that's, that's despising God. That's, that's putting him at the, at the bottom of the list instead of at the top. So serve means to be subject to, to come under as a covering or to look to for provision and protection. The world has tried to replace God with money. The world has tried to replace God with money. God was always meant to be the source of our provision. He was always meant to be the source of our protection. And He was always meant to be the source of our prosperity. Come on now. Who's the source of your provision? Who's the source of your protection? Who's the source of your prosperity? God, He was always, he always was supposed to be that. Now, we do a lengthy teaching and discipleship class on this. But there are five things that every person on planet Earth are looking for this morning. They're looking for acceptance. They're looking for security. They're looking for identity. They're looking for uh, purpose, um, significance. I do it this order. Significance and purpose. One more time. Acceptance. Security. Feel secure. Feel safe. Identity. Significance. Value, worth, respect, and purpose. Five things. Okay? And we were always meant to find those five things from God. But when sin separated our connection from God and with God, our means of receiving those things from Him was severed and it left us looking for a substitute to try and replace what we lost. So God was always meant to be the source of all of these things separated from God by sin, lost our connection with Him, we lost everything that connection supplied. Think for a moment. I, really, I want you to do this. I, I might even pause here and count to five or something in my, to myself. Think for a moment what it says to God when we cheerfully, joyfully, and confidently give our money to Him. What does that say to Him? It says, it says, God, you before money. It says, I'm not, I don't, I'm not, I'm not looking to money for, for my security. My, my money is not my security, God. You're my security. And let me show you that in a practical way as we write the check. What, what does it say to him? Listen, I, the, the money is seed and, and, and we see that God has made it so that everything He has given to you, you can either consume it or you can, you can sow it. You can plant it or you can eat it. And, and He gives you that option. There's all kinds of things in your life that you can uh, give to God as a seed. And seed reproduces after its kind. Amen. But, but what... But the real difference maker, listen to me now, 
The real difference maker in the giving and the receiving is not the money, it's the trust that the money represents. If the money is not an expression of your trust, are you, do you see? It, then it, it's, that's not, there was, God's got plenty of money. Are you, are you following what I'm saying? It's, it's, not, it's not about, you know, well, you know, if, if you, <laughs> the power bill in heaven's due. You know, come on, guys, when y'all going to get... No, that's not how God looks at this. What makes the difference in our lives is, is, is the tangible expression of trust. So think for a moment what it says to God when we cheerfully, joyfully, and confidently give our money to Him. Now, last week we talked about trying to hear and apply giving and receiving with a buying and selling ear. And that leads to confusion, error, and at best, limited results. So we must shift from a buying and selling ear to a sowing and reaping ear if we are to accurately hear and do what God says about financial stability, increased prosperity, and abundance. Now, let's finish right here. Romans chapter 8 and verse 6. Romans chapter 8 and verse 6. It says, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. This is written to the church at Rome. It's written to an audience of born-again believers. In other words, he's talking to people who, who are saved. He's talking to people whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. He's talking to people who, uh, if they died tonight, they would go to heaven. But he says to those people, to be carnally minded is death, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. Let's deal with that word enmity first. Enmity has to do with a lack of harmony. It rhymes with enemy, but it's not the same as enemy. And enmity operates on a spectrum that can be anything from a difference of opinion to the other end of that spectrum, violent hatred. So the opposite of enmity is harmony. And so when he says that the carnal mind is enmity against God, he says it's not in harmony with God. It's not in tune with God. It's instead in a position opposed to God. All right? So that's enmity. Carnal mind is enmity against God. Now, let's go back to verse 6. To be carnally minded is death. What does it mean to be carnally minded? To be carnally minded means you are a born-again person who still, for the most part, thinks like someone who has not been born again. The Bible identifies three distinct categories of people in 1 Corinthians 2. 
those who are natural, those who are carnal, those who are spiritual. One who is natural, this is someone who has never been born again. Someone who is carnal is someone who has been born again, but still, for the most part, thinks like someone who has not been born again. But then you have those who are spiritual. This is someone who has been born again, and someone who, for the most part, as a born-again believer, thinks like someone who's been born again. So to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Life here is talking about the life and nature of God, which, by the way, you received into your born-again spirit the day you were born again. The moment you were born again, you became a partaker of the divine nature of God. You became a partaker of the eternal, abundant life and nature of God. That, uh, that life and nature of God is in you right now as a born-again believer. And it's only as we become spiritually minded that that life and and nature of God that's in us begins to leak or hopefully flow uh, forth from us in, in a meaningful, tangible, even visible, verifiable way. And when he's talking about life and peace, to be spiritually minded is life and peace. He's talking about the life and nature of God, but the peace part, it doesn't just mean the absence of anxiety or the absence of conflict. Peace here is is literally defined as the shalom of God. He's talking about uh, your life being filled with every good thing that God has to fill a man or a woman's life with. The peace of God, uh, I've heard Brother Copeland define it this way, nothing missing, nothing lacking, nothing broken in your life. To be spiritually minded for the born-again believer is life and peace. But to be carnally minded is death. Now, you get the gold star if you can remember this one. I tell you, there's one word that I want you to remember more than any other word when you hear the word death. Anybody remember what that word is? Separation. Death means separation. We think of death as, as, as going to a funeral, somebody died. But, but what we're seeing at a funeral is someone's physical body and their spirit and soul have separated. Physical death is when a a, a spirit and a soul separate from a body, and and all that's left is the body, okay? Spirit, that's physical death. Spiritual death is when your spirit has been separated from God's spirit. So death is separation. So when he says to be carnally minded is death, certainly, listen to me, you think like the world long enough, it can end your life early, It can lead to your physical death. But he's talking about something much bigger here. He's saying if you think like the world where these things are concerned, it's going to cause you to live a life separated from the things that God paid such a high price for you to experience, express, and enjoy in your life reality. It separates you from the protection. It separates you from the provision. It separates you from the abundance. It separates you from the prosperity. All of these things that are our birthright as sons and daughters of God. To be carnally minded is death. Death means separation. Can it lead to your physical death, premature death? It certainly can. But we've got to see it as something bigger than that. Thinking the way the world thinks about money is a huge problem in the body of Christ. Let me just say it as plain as I know how to say it. Thinking like the world thinks about money is a huge problem in the body of Christ. And this is the thing, listen to me please. It's a problem that points to much more than the balance in our checkbooks. 
thinking like the world thinks about money goes back to things like honor and trust and who we look to as our source or what we look to as our source, whose servant we are. Do we serve money or do we serve God? Do we look to money or do we look to God? So it comes back around then. See, to be carnally minded, he said it this way in Ephesians. He said that that you're living like outsiders, you're living like strangers, you're living like people who don't know God, you're living like people who don't have a covenant with God because you're living out of the futility of your own mind. You, you, you're, you're living your life based upon the way the world thinks and trying to, to, to live in the kingdom with a worldly, fleshly, carnal mindset about things and it's causing you to miss out on all that Father God has, has given to you and, and, and intends for you to experience and enjoy in life. So what did we say? We said that, that money measures things that we don't want to have measured. We said money sometimes is an inaccurate measure of things that we try to use it to measure. But that also money is a, is a strong indication of how much our thinking is influenced by the world around us. So let me say it another way. How we think about money is, is, is one of the most uh, telling uh, signs of whether or not a man or a woman is spiritually minded or carnally minded. getting quiet up in here I'm going to say it again how we think about money are we carnally minded when it comes to money or are we spiritually minded when it comes to money and this is what we got to realize and this is what this this is the and I tried to figure out a way some way to put this into words in, in a clever way you would remember it but here's here's the visual of it you know, when you take a, 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 you know, say a steel body of water, a pond, and you drop a rock in the middle, and, it, and the ripples out, right? So when we say thinking the way the world thinks about money is a huge problem in the body of Christ, and it's a problem that points to much more than the balance in your checkbook. See, this goes back to the spiritual warfare surrounding it. This goes back to you can't be loyal to God um, you can't be loyal to money and loyal to God at the same time. You can't look to him and to money at the same time. You're going to look more and more to one and less and less to the other or vice versa. And then that's where it ripples out to every other aspect um, of your life. Let me try to say it another way. <clears throat> How much of your life is affected by money? A lot of it, Right? A lot of it. How many murders have been committed over money? How many thefts? How many, how much, how many lies have been told about money? How many divorces have happened because of money? I mean, I, we just go on and on and on. So when we, when we stop to consider how much money affects us in a economic world everything that money affects is going to be negatively affected by a wrong mindset about it amen all right stand with me this morning praise god
let me, um, we'll get into, I got a list of these. We'll get into these next week. Um, but I want to try to just, can I leave you with just a few examples? Are you good? Can we do this? All right. A buying and selling mindset associates giving with loss and having less. A sowing and reaping mindset associates giving with increase and having exponentially more. You see that, do you see, if, if you're hearing this with a buying and selling ear, then you're hearing giving, it's, it's really worse than this for a lot of people. On the extreme versions of this, giving is not just loss, it's waste. It's waste. See, now we start spiritualizing our dysfunction. All right, well, I'm a good steward. I can't be wasteful. See again. Buying and selling mindset associates giving with loss and having less. A sowing and reaping mindset, which is, by the way, spiritually minded, associates giving with increase, not loss, and having exponentially more. All right, we got several more of those. We'll go through them some point in the days ahead. Um, let's pray. Father, there's a lot of things in your word, Lord, that I really, really, really enjoy teaching and preaching on, Lord. Important things. All of it's important. If you said it, it's important, Lord. And I know, Father, perhaps some would enjoy a teaching on grace or righteousness or maybe some other things a little more than this, but Father, I believe you've led us here. I believe that you're trying to help us see beneath the smoke screen of, of cash as, and, and Lord, what our thoughts and attitudes and mindsets towards money says about our spiritual growth or lack of it, what it says about where our trust is placed and to who or what we look to for our security and our significance, even our purpose in life, Lord. Father, the, the, the pride that's involved in buying and selling versus the humility and, and obedience that's involved in trust, that's involved in, in sowing and reaping, Lord, the the futile efforts, Lord, that are revealed when we try to leave you out of our finances and do it ourselves. Father, where you want to take us, um, we, we don't have enough hours in our lifetimes to work and, and earn money uh, to get to, Lord. As a matter of fact, the things that you created us to have, Father, they're not even for sale. They, they, they can't be bought. They can only be received. And so, Lord, I thank you that you're helping us get some of these uh, adjustments made and our hearts are being um, prepared, Lord. A lot of what we've done these last few weeks on this subject has just been uh, plowing up some ground and rooting out some things that need to be rooted out, Lord, before we can really plant what, what you say in our hearts about giving and receiving. But Lord, I thank you that you want your children 
to prosper. Just like every parent in this room desires for their children to prosper, you want all of us to prosper. And Lord, I thank you that you're helping us learn your ways and understand them and practice them and experience the results of them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being here this morning. It's so good to see you. I am so thankful for you and for your families. You have a great week. I'll see some of you tomorrow night, some of you Wednesday. You be blessed.